All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of Romans 9, but the goal is to cover Romans 9 through 11. As you know, last time Mac was gone, uh, we accidentally started, pre- I accidentally started preaching through Romans because he was only supposed to be gone for uh, two weeks, and I think it ended up being three or four. So um, that's where we're continuing. Romans chapter 9 is where we left off, and that's where we're starting today. So Romans 9, beginning in verse 1, Paul, inspired of the Spirit of God, says this to us today. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us your word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that the Spirit hovered over him and and dwelt in him, his entire ministry. We're thankful for your word inscripturated as well that you've given to us, and it continues down to this day. It's been passed down from generation to generation. You've preserved it so that we are able to study and read your word together uh, privately. We have your word in abundance, and we're, we're glad to be able to gather here together today as your people to hear your authoritative word. And we pray that as you inspired your word by your spirit, you would would speak to us through your spirit today. May we know Christ in a greater way. May our hearts be filled with gratitude for his grace. May your word and your spirit together work to make us gratefully obedient to Christ our Savior. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Read my lips. No new taxes. Some of you are familiar 
with the promise our former president, George H.W. Bush, made on the campaign trail. And you also are probably familiar with the fact that he reneged on that promise while, after he became president. And this is probably one of the main reasons, if you discount Ross Perot, uh, that <laughs> George H.W. Bush did not win a second term. We're used to promises like that. We hear it every four years or every two years if you count the uh, congressional cycle for re-election. We're used to politicians making promises. And sometimes they come back and, and try to clarify, well, this is what I really meant, or, or we just can't get it done, or they blame it on the other party or something like that. We're, we're used to those promises. We've heard them a million times. This morning, I want to say that God's promises are not like that. God's promises can be trusted. We know that when God says it, it will be done because our God is an omnipotent God. He can do whatever he pleases in heaven or on earth, which is what creates the, the dilemma that Paul is facing in Romans chapter 9. He's He's been explaining what the gospel is, and, and this tension has been arising for some time because he's, talking, he's been talking about how the Gentiles and the Jews are both sinners before in the eyes of God, and that both Jew and Gentile need to come to faith in Christ. But then you have to ask the question, but, but what about all these Jews? What about all the promises that God has made? And we know, and we'll soon discover more in the book of Acts as Pastor Mac goes through it, that increasingly the, ch the church that began as a Jewish church will eventually become a Gentile church, predominated by Gentiles. Most of us here today are Gentiles. But what about all the promises that God had made to his people in the past? I mean, we reread some of the things that God did for Israel in the past in verses 4 and 5. The, the adoption was theirs, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. Even the Messiah came from their race. Paul assures us in verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed. Whatever the answer to the dilemma is we can't say that God reneged on his promise, that God changed his mind, God didn't have enough power, or the devil kept him from doing what he was always wanted to do. We can't say that of God. So Paul is trying to clarify the promises, not because God didn't speak clearly, but because sinful people misunderstood. So he's, he's going to clarify the promises that were made in the Old Testament and to the people of Israel to show them what God's saving promises had always meant, but they had missed it. So today we're going to look at three clarifying promises. And they are, God's saving promises are always based on his gracious choice. God's saving promises are always based on God's gracious choice. Secondly, God's saving promises always require faith to be received. 
God's saving promises always require faith to be received. And then finally, God's saving promises are realized in a mysterious and glorious manner. God's saving promises are realized in a mysterious and glorious manner. So God's God's promises, first of all, are always in the Old Testament and even in our day today based on his gracious choice. We see that in verses 6 through 11 of Romans chapter 9. So Paul here goes on to explain after he says in verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed. The word of God, the promises of God have not failed. So what happened? He goes on to say, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because there is offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. Paul's point is, is that just simply because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean that you were automatically included in these promises that God had given him. Abraham's first son was named Ishmael. God said the promises were going to go to Isaac. And then after Sarah died, Abraham had more sons with uh, Keturah. Thank you. (laughs) So Abraham had more children than just Isaac, but it was through Isaac that the blessing was come. It was through Isaac that the promises were going to come. God is was always making gracious choices. He chose Isaac rather than Ishmael. In verse 9, or actually beginning of verse 9, verse 10, if I can speak today. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good, either had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might stick continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God graciously chose Jacob over Esau. So it's what we see here is it's not, we're, God doesn't save people. God doesn't make these blanket promises to save people just based on their ancestry alone. And that means for us, that, that means that just because her parents and her grandparents and as far back as you can trace that they're Christian, it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Just because your ancestors were Christian, you must make a personal decision to trust in Christ by faith in order to be saved. And only then will these promises be yours. We're not saved because we belong to the right tribe or to the chosen nation, whatever that may be. We're saved, ultimately, as we're going to find out, by God's good and gracious choice. Paul also mentions here, we saw this in verse 10, that we're not saved by works. Listen again what he says to Rebekah. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. 
Salvation, God's gracious promises, were never based on works. God didn't look through the corridors of time and see that Jacob was going to be a really pious and good guy and Esau was going to be terrible. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, you, you know that's not even the case. Jacob was rotten. Jacob, his brother was hungry and instead of get, he was so greedy for the birthright that he forced him to give up his birthright just to give him some soup. Now that says a lot about Esau, but it also says a lot about Jacob. Jacob's, Jacob and his mother worked together to deceive the father into giving him the blessing. Jacob didn't argue except to say, well, my brother's really hairy and I'm not. He's going to know. He's worried about getting caught. He's not worried about the lying and deceit that's going on. He's worried about being caught. So God, if he were to look down the corridors of time and look at, uh, look at the works of Jacob, he certainly wouldn't have chosen him. Charles Spurgeon once said that God had to choose me before I was born because he would have never chosen me afterwards. And I'm sure if we look at our own lives, we would say the same things. How, how can we even imagine that God would look at us and say, wow, what a guy, what a, what a gal. I need them in my family. We know the, the sinful wickedness of our heart. We know the sinful wickedness of our behavior. We're not chosen by God because of our works. We're not saved because of our good works. We're also not saved in verse 16. It says, let me start at verse 14, actually. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So not only is it not by works, but it's not by a human decision. Your parents can't make you Christians just because you're an ancestor. They also can't make the decision. They can't choose to make you a Christian. And even more, you can't choose to make yourself a Christian. It's by God's gracious choice. This is what Paul clearly says in verse 15 when he quotes Moses. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. The choice to give mercy is God. The choice to give compassion is God's. God's salvation in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's prom- saving promises were always made based on his good and gracious, sovereign choice. To be clear here, we are talking about election and predestination. I don't want to be equivocate or try to fly under the radar. That's what we're discussing. I know what happens when, we, when I, the, this topic is brought up. Believe me, I went through college and there was fights all the time about it. Um, you mention it in most Southern Baptist churches and immediately you're in trouble. I've heard all the arguments. I've heard all the what-ifs. If you're hearing this and saying, but if God chooses, then why do we do evangelism? Why do we do missions? 
If that's your argument against it, in all love, you don't understand. You, this church, we, we believe that God chooses, but we believe in evangelism and missions. We prayed for the nation of Kenya this morning. We, it's because we believe that God works through means. He works through our pay, prayers. He works through our missionaries. We believe in evangelism. Someone in the Sunday school this morning told about talking to his brother about the gospel and sharing the gospel Why? Because we believe that God uses sinners like us to share the gospel, and in his power, he works to save sinners. So if you're you're objecting to this doctrine, to this idea for those reasons, you don't understand. And I would be happy to talk with you. I'm sure Steve would. I'm sure there are other folks in the church. If If you're asking it as a question... That's one thing. If you're saying, I don't understand how all this works, that's one thing. But to say, well, if you believe that, then there's no no reason to do missions or no reason to do evangelism. That's silliness. We believe believe in that. That's why we give, in our budget meeting, we gave lots of money. We're giving lots of money to missions. (laughs) If we didn't believe in it, why are we doing it? We believe in it. These things are not contradictory, brothers and sisters. The reason why we're, I'm so, I want to be so adamant about this is because predestination, election, guards God's grace and salvation. Without this idea, that means sinners choose for themselves. God, God makes decisions based on our works, not his glory. Salvation is by grace, and the Bible teaches that from beginning to end. It's by grace alone that anyone is saved. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our decisions. We're saved by God's gracious choice. And why is it that some of the Israelites, why is it that some of the Jews were not saved, though many of the Gentiles were coming in? It's because of God's sovereign choice. So secondly, God's gracious promises are always by faith. They're always by faith. Look with me at Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as as it were, based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So why is it that so many Gentiles were becoming Christians and so many Jews weren't? Because they didn't have faith. They refused to believe. They relied on their works. Remember, Paul already said in the beginning of Romans chapter 9 that it wasn't by works, but they're relying on their works. They didn't, they, 
they based they were legalists. They thought that they could be righteous enough to obey the Ten Commandments in, in their heart and in their behavior. They thought they could do that, and they stumbled over Christ. This is, it, it doesn't just happen back then, it still happens now. Where we think salvation is, is by works, by our own righteousness. People become blinded by religion because they've done all these things. And they, they, to describe what the Israelites and what legalists do when they think they're saved by their own works, they're walking around looking at their so, cell phone on selfie mode with, with their special effects to make them look really nice. And they look really nice in that selfie, and they're just walking around. They stumble over Christ. They don't see him because they're so busy looking at them. They don't see him because they're so busy looking at their works. This is a danger of what religions that teach salvation by works. We're always looking at ourselves and how good we are and how much we've achieved. But then we stumble over Christ. You don't even see him because you don't see your need for him because you're so busy looking at your pretty face in your cell phone. This is what happened to the Jews. They were all caught up in their own righteousness. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know the things that Jesus said to them. These kind of people, woe unto you Pharisees, your whitewashed sepulchers, your inside is rotten bones. They looked really good to everybody else, but they didn't look good to God. Salvation is not achieved by our works. We only receive it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you today, stop looking at your own righteousness your own list of things that you've done right all your life, how, how you're a good neighbor and you, and you help out your neighbors and you work hard and all, all those kinds of stuff. Stop thinking about all the rituals that you do. You attend church on a regular basis and you even put some money in the offering plate. Stop thinking about those things and thinking those are s- steps to get you to heaven. They're not going to do you any good. In fact, if you're looking at them, they're doing you harm. You need to look away from those works, look away from yourself, stop adoring your righteousness, and find the only righteousness that there is in Jesus Christ. You need to trust him by faith. Not only did they stumble, rely on works, but they were ignorant of righteousness. Paul says this in verse 3 of chapter 10. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit God's righteousness. So they tried to make their own righteousness, and this and they're ignorant of God's righteousness. These things go hand in hand with legalists. The problem with the law is, is that the law the law demands absolute perfection. So in order to be a legalist and actually think you're doing all that the law commands, you have to bring the law down just a not just a little, but quite a bit. And that, because the law is based on the righteousness of God, you're also bringing God's righteousness down as well. You're, make, you're, you're making a standard that's a little lower so that you, you can 
catapult over it pretty easily. When the truth is, if, if the righteousness was where it should be, no one could ever possibly reach us. So the Jews were ignorant of the transcendent righteousness of God, which is so shocking if you know the Old Testament. Just remember Isaiah chapter 6. How, how does anyone think that we could measure up to the righteousness of that person who Isaiah saw? Isaiah was a righteous man, and he felt himself coming apart in the presence of a holy God. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God, and therefore they never reached out by faith in Jesus Christ. They never reached to him because they thought they had reached him on their own. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to understand that who we are in Christ is not because of our works, not because of our decision. It's by the grace of God. And the only reason, the only way to receive that grace is through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone saves. Not faith plus your works, not faith plus your decision. None of those things save. Only Christ saves through faith. Paul also Paul also wants to make the point that because salvation is through faith, it's available to everyone. In verse 13, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 17, says he says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel is, is for everyone. It's for every kind of sinner, religious sinners, prodigal sinners, It's for Americans and non-Americans, immigrants and citizens. It doesn't matter who they are. The gospel is for everyone. It wasn't just for the Jews in the Old Testament. It wasn't just for the Jews when Christ came. It's for everyone. The gospel is universal. It's for all people everywhere. It's our duty as Christians to proclaim this gospel of grace this gospel that's received by faith to everyone. We can start with our friends, our family, our neighbors, acquaintances that we have, people that we work with. Those are people we can focus on. The gospel's for them. They need Christ and they need the gospel. The gospel needs to go further than just our community. It needs to go, it needs to, go to Kenya. It needs to go in the 1020 window where... I think it's 1020 or 1040. 1040. Thank you, Steve. I knew you'd help me out there. It needs to go in the 1040 window, places that are ruled by Islam and Christians are severely persecuted. The gospel needs to go there. It needs to go to China where brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering for their faith and, and being, being imprisoned. And It needs to go to North Korea. It needs to, the gospel... The gospel needs to go to America. The gospel is needed in Europe. The gospel is needed everywhere and for everyone. We need to be careful, though, that we're watching out for prejudices in ourselves. Um, we, We all here are conservative white evangelicals, right? We can have a tendency to look at those who are not conservative as the enemy sometimes. 
that prejudice can cloud our hearts. We need to understand Democrats and liberals need to be saved. By the way, Republicans and conservatives need to be saved as well. We have to watch out for those prejudices because the problem is, is what you post on Facebook can bring harm to the gospel. And even if you don't say anything, the attitude comes out. The gospel's for everybody. Nobody's excluded. Not even the worst liberal that you can think of. They need the gospel. They need it desperately. We need, it breaks my heart. And this isn't any of you, okay? So I'm not picking on you necessarily, but it, it breaks my heart to see some of the things my Christian friends post about Muslims. And to think, how could they even think that they're going to possibly minister to a Muslim when that's their attitude towards them? Yes, there are political concerns. Everybody realizes this. <laughs> yes, there are worries about radical Islam. Nobody's denying this. But we've got to put these prejudices out of our heart. We'll never be able to... The gospel's the solution to radical Islamic extremism. If all these radical Muslims came, trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord, we wouldn't have to worry about suicide bombers anymore. The gospel's the answer. We've got to put aside our prejudice, and there's, there's more prejudices, no doubt. But we've got to put aside these prejudices prejudice, because they need the gospel. They need Christ. Our prejudices and our foolish Facebook posts can turn people away from Christ. We, the gospel is for everyone. And we as believers in Christ need to make sure as best as we can that that gospel is getting to everyone. And then finally, in Romans chapter 11, this, <laughs> this whole passage, chapter 9, is about predestination, and you know that's a controversy. And then chapter 11 talks about end times, and ex- that plays into end times and eschatology. So this whole section is a landmine of controversy. But um, in Romans chapter 11, God, we, we see that God's saving promises are realized in a mysterious and glorious manner. Remember the question that Paul is trying to answer. What about the Israelites? What about the Jewish people? So many Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ, and God made all these promises to Israel. What's going to happen? We, we've already learned that God's, choice, God's prom, saving promises are by his choice, his gracious choice. We've already learned that it's by faith, and we've, we've seen the, the Israelites missed the grace, they missed the faith, but God's not finished with them yet, and that's what Romans 11 tells us. God's way of bringing this about is going to be a mystery, it's going to be a glory, something to rejoice and give thanks about. That's what Paul unfolds in Romans chapter 11. First of all, what about the Jews? Paul starts out saying, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And in the strongest possible way, he says, by no means. God has not rejected his people. Then he goes on to talk about himself. It's not because Paul's all called up on himself, but he's giving himself as an example God hasn't given up on the Jews. 
Paul himself is a Jewish person. Paul is an Israelite, and he's, going, he's telling them. So even, even now, Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You may know of some people, Jewish believers in Christ. Dr. Michael Brown is a, a well-known Christian. He's an apologist, preacher, things like that. He's a converted Jew. Um, there's a man I follow on Facebook, a Reformed Baptist named Baruch Maoz or Maoz, M-A-O-Z. I don't know how to say his last name, but he's a converted Jew as well. Even today, Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ. And this shows God has not given up on his people. But this isn't it. There's more to come in the future. And this is really where Romans 11 really hits. And there's many places we can go, but time is getting away from us. There is still a future work. Um, we say, see this in verses 11 and 12, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 30 of Romans 11. Paul says, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And then look down at uh, verse 30. For just as you were at one t- for just as you, speaking of the Gentiles, were one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by mercy shown to you that they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. What What's happening here is God is explaining his plan for the future of Israel. And what he's what he's arguing Paul is explain what Paul is arguing is that the Jews rejected Christ and therefore the gospel came to you Gentiles. The Gentiles now have the gospel and that the purpose of that is to make the Jews the Israelites jealous so that the Gentiles would preach the gospel to them and that the Jews would come to faith in Christ in large numbers. And then when the Jews come to faith in Jesus Christ, that will, that will add more Gentiles to the church as well. God has a plan. He's not finished with Israel. Now, there's debate about how this is all going to work out. My opinion is that, sometime, that this is still future. This is, hasn't happened yet. This is why the old Puritans urged people to pray for the conversion of the Jews. Why? Because they knew that in the conversion of Jews, there'd be a great revival that would lead to, lead to Gentiles coming to faith and that, that the gospel would reach to the ends of the earth. This was the plan. This, my, in my humble opinion, this is the plan. This is why we, one of the, we seek the conversion of the Jews for, for their sake, but we also seek it for the sake of the glory of God and what he's going to do for all people. You see, God hasn't given up on the Jews. He's still saving Israelites. He's still say, saving the descendants of Abraham today. But there's more to come. There's still a glorious future 
for all of those Jewish people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's no third way. There's no, if you're a faithful Jew, then you get to go to heaven. Or just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you get to go to heaven. Everyone, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, will only be saved at at the end of the day because of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And God is still working with the Jews. And this is, so not only is it a mystery, it's, it's mysterious. It's, I'm not even sure that this is how it's going to work out. This is the best I can understand this passage. That's how it's going to work out. But other Christians think it's going to work out other ways. It, it's a mystery. We don't, we, the threads of the story, we know the threads of the story and God's given us a hint here of what the resolution is going to be, but we really don't know what the resolution is going to be, and we won't know until it's all over. And that, and Paul meditating on this, this is why not only is it, are God's saving promises always mysterious, but they're also glorious. Paul's meditating on this, and he closes the chapter with this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Remember, Paul started the chapter mourning wishing that he could give himself up and his own salvation for the sake of his people, and now he's worshiping God. Why? Because he sees that God's, he knows that God's plan for Israel isn't finished. It's going to happen in a mysterious way, but then God will receive all the glory for it. I know some of you are like Matthew and didn't go see any of the Avengers movies. But I remember at the, at the end of Infinity War, when everybody died, Jeremy Robert walked out of that theater stomping mad, swearing he'd never go see a Marvel movie again. And we were all kind of upset. You know, your favorite characters just all turn to dust and die. But then as we looked at things online and remembered, hey, there's supposed to be another Spider-Man movie, and he died, so... Something's going on here. We're trying to work out how all these threads are going to work out together. Then we were excited to see the next movie, to see how it was all going to work out. And it, I don't know if this happened when you guys went to see it, but when we went to see it and, and all the people that died had come back, people in the theaters were hooping and hollering and cheering. Some people were crying. They were just so excited to see after all these people had died, now they're back. It was so exciting. I've never been to a movie like that before where people are cheering like that. It, it, Avengers is just a movie, okay? And it's okay if Matthew or you didn't go see it. That's fine. I just like to pick on Matthew. But this plan of God is even better than the Avengers. It, it's even better than the Lord of the Rings. It's better than anything you can imagine or think. That's why Paul is so, so worshiping God and, and so excited because he's been thinking about how it's all going to turn out. And he's not even done with his letter and he's praising God for what he's going to do.
we don't know, we don't know how it's all going to work out. It's a mystery. It's still, there's mystery that remains. But it's going to be glorious. And we'll be able to be in heaven forever, those of us who have trusted Christ, glorifying God for his glorious plan. It'll be better than we can even imagine. It's beyond our ability to think. That's what God is going to do. And God's promises are sure. God's never going to say, read my lips, all Israel will be saved and then Israel not be saved. He's not going to have to, he's not going to renege on his promises. He's not going to say, well, I really tried hard, but the, you know, the devil, he, he messed things up for me. God's never going to say anything like that. All of God's saving promises are going to happen just as he said. Brothers and sisters, that's why we can trust in our God. Our salvation is secure not because we're good, but because our God is good. Our salvation is secure not because we're powerful, but because God is powerful. And at the end of the day, all the glory will go to him. Not only will God not renege on his promises for believers, but he won't renege on his promises for unbelievers either. Those who refuse to trust Christ are promised eternal destruction away from the Lord. But in this day of grace, there's still time to turn from your sins and turn to Christ. I urge you to trust in his grace by faith and be saved today. Father, we thank you for your word. Indeed, it's mysterious and glorious, and we're excited to see how it's all going to work out. We pray today that your word will not go forth void, that your spirit would work in the hearts in the way that hearts need to be worked on. Give faith, grant repentance, edify your people, Help us to love Christ and glory in him as we leave here today. We pray it all in Christ's name.